If you have your Bible, you can turn to Genesis chapter 24. We're continuing to go through the book of Genesis, following different people's lives, and tonight we have the longest chapter in the book of Genesis. We've been seeing different couples, different generations of this one family, and uh, for all of them, we don't get the full story, you know, of how the, the mom and the dad met, how the groom went to the bride's father and asked for her hand in marriage. Like for Adam and Eve, they are just fully adult and there's no conversation of, oh, I don't know if he's the right one for me. He's the only one, so he's the one. For Noah and his wife, we don't get to know like, okay, did they meet on an app? Did they meet uh, at a coffee shop? You know, what's their story? We don't get to know any of that. For Abraham and Sarah, they, we know they got married fairly young, that they left their home country, that they got saved later in life. And we got to watch a little bit of their life. But now what we get to see is Abraham and Sarah's son, Isaac, this story is a love story. It's how um, Isaac and Rebecca met. It's the process through which God led the right person at the right time to meet the person that God had set aside for Isaac and how he brought her home to him. So it's this, it's a love story. And it is the longest story in Genesis. It is 67 verses. Tonight we're gonna read 67 verses, which is great for me because I'm a union pastor. I get paid by the verse. I'm just kidding. I get paid by how much candy I give your kids. It's by the pound. And so it's really fun. So tonight, if you have your Bible, we're gonna read 67 verses tonight. So Genesis chapter 24. Now Abraham was old. How many times have we heard that? It is so funny. At this time, he's, he's like 140 years old. He is old, well advanced in years. And Yahweh had blessed Abraham in all things. How brilliant is that? What a great opening verse. At the end of his life, to summarize everything that has happened with Abraham, to look at his current circumstances, the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. That his neighbors, as family, when they look at Abraham, that's how they would summarize it. That's how they would look at him. That's how they would define him. And a lot of men, when they get older, how do they often get defined? Kind of grumpy, kind of crusty, get off my lawny, right? <laughs> like, those are the kind of guys. But Abraham, everyone looks at him and goes, the Lord has blessed him in all things. Isn't that what we all want? That when someone looks at our lives, when they summarize it, when they look at us, our neighbors, our kids, our family, to say, wow, God has really blessed them in every single way. And you start to look at Abraham, you can almost compare yourself. You go, well, you know, I don't have the, the money that Abraham has, so God didn't bless me there. Oh, God prepared a land for him, and, and I don't have any land. God, he's got like 30 camels. I have zero camels. I've got a pack of camels. No, whatever it is, right? It's like, it's like, I, God really hasn't blessed me in that way. Well, here's the thing. For you and me, I think the believer, the average believer could argue very strongly, we are far more blessed than Abraham could have ever imagined. Because look at what Romans says about you and me. The average believer, it's Romans 8, starting in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God's already given you his very best. God has already proved his commitment to you through the blood of Jesus. He's on your team. And if he's for you, who can stand against you? And it just keeps going. It just keeps getting better from there. It says, for you and for me, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn you? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. It's saying right there, anyone who brings a charge against you, Satan comes and whispers in your ears, you know, you're just not good enough. You know, you failed. That's why stuff is falling apart because God just doesn't like the way that you've done things. He just probably doesn't like you at all. This thing, no, God actually, Jesus stands in between your prayers and God. He intercedes for you. And all of the things that happen, every mistake, every word, every action, everything that you didn't do that you should have done, every sin of omission and commission that happens, Jesus is there interceding for you saying, yeah, but I, I already paid for that. And God goes, paid in full. You're completely uncondemned for being in Christ Jesus. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? What could ever remove Christ's love for you? Shall tribulation, shall distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we, who's we? All of us. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. How amazing is that? The Bible says, that this is the truth for every single person who calls Jesus Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead. That you are safe, secure, that the down payment has been paid with the price that we can't even fathom. That God's commitment to you is beyond any other commitment possible in this world. He's on your team. If he's for you, who can be against you? The perspective that you and I should have as we go about life should be far beyond any perspective that Abraham could possibly have. Abraham goes about life thinking, I'm gonna get a land and I'm gonna get a kid. And he's going through life holding on to that. For you and me, haven't we been promised so much more? Oh man, absolutely. I think the argument could very firmly be made that God has already promised to you and me far more blessing and riches than Abraham could have ever imagined or hoped for. And so what if we just actually took that perspective and we lived that way? If we actually in, internalized all the ways that God has blessed us, I believe that we would live the kind of life that would cause people to say, oh, God has blessed him in all things. If we truly internalize who we are in Christ Jesus, the Lord has blessed us in all things. In verse two, <clears throat> and Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, 
who had charge of all that he had. Put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring, I will give this land He will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. God has promised me and my son this land and I'm getting old. Abraham's like 140 years old. Isaac is like 40 years old and he's unmarried. And Abraham is like, hey, there's just gotta be a a nation that comes from you, guy. And he's unmarried at this point. He's got no kids. And now Abraham is like, something has to happen here. And why is he unmarried at this point? He's unmarried because all of the families around them are Canaanites. They're all groups of family. They're all women who do not worship Yahweh. They don't know the Lord. Should a believer marry an unbeliever? No, it's going to make life so much harder than you need it to be. They're going to have a perspective and an outlook that they cannot possibly understand from someone who is a believer, who knows who they are in Christ Jesus. You know, they can absolutely become a believer, but missionary dating is a bad idea, right? Where you're gonna get in a relationship and oh, I know that I can just save them. No, Jesus can save them on his own and then he can come back. <laughs> you can get married, but it's gonna get much harder for you than it needs to be. The most important decision in your life is to follow Jesus and to call him Lord. The second most important decision of your life is who you marry. You're gonna be bound up with that person. You're gonna be committed to that person. Abraham is concerned, I need to find a son for, I need to find a wife for my son so that he doesn't end up with the wrong person who's bound up in different gods, who's, yeah, evenly yoked. And so Abraham goes and sends one of his servants to find a a wife for his son. And how crazy is that? He's just sending a guy to go and find, this is the most important decision in his son's life is who he's gonna marry and he's sending a, a servant. He's sending someone who's known him for years that he's built a trust, a bond with enough to where he knows, I know that he's gonna do the very best. He's going to do his absolute best to find the right kind of person that my son is gonna be married to this monumental decision that Abraham's lineage is gonna be carried out through, I can trust this person with this huge ordeal. I mean, I have a hard time choosing a babysitter for my kids, right? Is there anyone in your life that you would say, I trust you to find a spouse for my child? Oh my gosh, this is a wild relationship that he has. It's it, the kind of trust he has with this person. I so desire a friend like that Man, we all need friends like that, that that we can just say, this person has my absolute best interests in mind, that I can trust them fully. 
They know, I know they care about me. They care about my kids. They, they care about my kids' future. And man, that takes hard work and time, doesn't it? Women have this ability as they get older to where they just, they, they network and they make more friends and it gets, it, they spread out more. Men do the opposite, don't they? Where men, as they get older, they like to, to dwell on their hobbies and hide in their shop and, and spend time by themselves. I think you got to do the opposite. Abraham somehow has, has developed such a relationship with this person that he says, I can trust him deeply that he's gonna do the absolute best for me. And how can we not become a community who does that for each other? Because after all, God has blessed us in all things, right? We gotta be those kind of people for one another. And verse eight, but if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. So the servant puts his hand under Abraham's thigh and makes a commitment, makes a promise to him. And I'm not really gonna talk about that, but Edgewater's more of a fist bump church. Right? Like, if you're gonna make a promise, solid. You know, pre-COVID, things were different. We used to shake hands. You know, now, now it's, you remember during COVID, people do the elbow? I respected that. I'm like, yeah, you know, that's fine. Now, Edgewater's a fist bump church. If you're really committed to the, the deal you're making, you can explode it. Have you ever done that? We're a, a let your yes be yes kind of people. And if someone at Edgewater or anyone else tells you, hey, let's, let's make a deal, let's get into escrow, let's negotiate, put your hand under my thigh, you just say, no, I'm not interested. It's quite all right. Verse 10, then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed. They leave to go find a good woman. He doesn't just bring a van and a trailer. He brings a caravan of camels. How come? Because good biblical women have too many clothes and shoes. It's gonna take 10 camels to move this lady. My wife and I, we just moved from our house where we had been for about five, six years and we moved into this place that we're renting and it was in the moving process that I realized I have married a biblical woman. It took 10 camels. She's a 10 camel gal. Taken all sorts of choice gifts from his master and he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. Verse 11, and he made the camels kneel down outside the city of the well of, outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening. The time when women go out to draw water. This is a smart man. He sets off to look for a woman. So he, where does he go? He goes where women goes. He's, he's not going to the shooting range or the monster truck derby. He's gonna go where women go at the time that women arrive. So if you're a single man in Grant's Pass, and you love Jesus, and you're thinking, okay, well, where do the women go at the time when women arrive? How am I gonna find a godly woman? Maybe, I don't know, I don't know where that, what's going on there. But I can tell you, they're serving in the kids' wing. And so if you wanna find a good godly woman, I have a volunteer application for you. If you're a single woman and you're looking for a man, they're gonna be looking in the kids' wing. 
as of right now. And I have an application for you. There's good godly people back there. And here's the thing, if you meet your spouse back there, it will train you for the future. My grandpa told me when my wife and I got married, he said, when you and your wife start thinking about having kids, I want you to go and sit in a Chuck E. Cheese for eight hours and you just sit there and watch and you go home and then you decide when you're gonna have kids. Kids Wing will give you a taste of that. My wife and I didn't listen and we have four kids. Verse 12, and he said, Oh Lord, God of my master Abraham. He's there at the well and he starts praying. Please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. He goes somewhere. He's doing a practical thing. He goes where he knows he should go. If you don't know what to do, do what you know, right? He goes where he knows he should go and then to the best of his abilities is completing the task that's been set before him. And then he prays. He doesn't just lean on his own understanding. He says, okay, I've done what I can. Now I'm gonna get God involved. I, I'm gonna take a step and now God, I need you to lead. I need you to guide me. And verse 13, behold, I'm standing by the spring of water. And I think this is funny. Like maybe God doesn't know where he's standing. He's just getting specific. I don't know. Behold, I'm standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young women to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this, I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. This is not a minor task. This is an ordeal. So he's out by the well. He has how many camels? He has 10 camels. And he's gonna go up to a woman and he's gonna ask her, hey, can I have something to drink? If she says yes, he's gonna say, hey, would you mind also watering my camels? And if she says yes and follows through with that task, I know that's the lady. That is an ordeal. We're talking 25 gallons of water to feed these camels, lowering the jug into the water, pulling it up, going to the trough, unloading it, doing that over and over and over again until they are all watered. So he's saying, okay, let me find someone who will allow me to greatly inconvenience them as they water my camels. The servant is really, he's saying, God, send me with someone who's got a servant's heart, who's got the right heart, who will put themselves completely out of their way to help someone that they don't even know. Let me find that kind of humble, sweet servant type woman. And verse 15, before he had finished speaking, how great is that? Doesn't God know what you and I need before we even ask? And he just wants us to ask. Like a good father, he just wants us to come to us and say, hey, God, here's what I need. And he goes, oh, I'm, I'm already working on it. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, drink my Lord. And she quickly let her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. 
When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water. And she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. Dude, Rebecca is a worker and she's strong. Like she must be jacked and she's got a servant's heart. She's watered all those camels and the servant, he's just praying. He's just watching. In verse 22, when the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing 10 gold shekels. This is like $100,000 in value. Just appoints her with all of this gold, all of this money and said, please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. And this, like it said earlier, this is Abraham's family. This is just confirmation that God has led the servant to the right person. And then verse 25, she added, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man, verse 26, bowed his head and worshiped the Lord. So the first thing he does is he gets down and begins praising Jesus for leading him to the right woman. How could he not, right? He just saw God move in this completely unbelievable way. He shows up to this spot where he goes, okay, women probably show up here. He's just traveled all the way across the desert, shows up to this spot. Women probably will come to the well to draw here. Okay, God, will you the right kind of woman? And she does these things. Before he even finishes praying in his heart, he goes, oh, okay, uh, hey, will you give me some water? And she does exactly what he prayed for. And he goes, Who, who, whose daughter are you? And then she goes, oh, we're related to Abraham, without saying Abraham, obviously. And he's like, this is the woman. And so he just starts praising the Lord. He does something practical. He prayed and God moved. And now he gets to praise the Lord for who God is and what he did. And so a few weeks ago, we got, had this guy here. His name's Billy Graham Palouse. Billy Graham is amazing. His life is so crazy that, so for me, my tire pops, and I gotta tell you about it, because oh my gosh, how, what an inconvenience, this is insane. He stayed the night at my parents' house before he taught here. And he didn't share with you guys what happened that very morning because his life is so wild, it didn't even hit his radar. So he's, he's at my dad's house. My dad's like, yeah, okay, they, they can stay here. And so he's, he lives on the, my dad sleeps on the bottom floor and there's a second floor. And you can hear Billy Graham walking at like five o'clock in the morning. And my dad goes, okay, I'll get up, but I'll give him privacy. And our high school pastor, Everett, comes to pick him up. And so my dad can hear Everett's truck come. And he goes, okay, cool. Um, when he leaves with Everett, then I'll, I'll get up and go about my day. And he hears Everett fling the door open. And all he hears, and my dad is like, Everett does not know how to enter someone's house at five in the morning. That is so rude. And then he hears, John, that's my dad's name. John, there's a fire. And my dad's like, oh. And so he gets up. My dad is only wearing jeans. Billy Graham is in his Sunday getup. And Billy Graham is outside with a garden hose trying to put out this fire. And so my dad is also with a garden hose putting out the fire, waiting for the fire truck to come and actually put it out. Billy Graham, then the fire truck shows up, gets in the truck with, with Everett, comes here and teaches, doesn't even mention it. 
because that's not wild for him, right? Like that, that doesn't even hit his radar for the crazy things. That happens probably in India all of the time. Like, oh, there's a fire. Well, I've got to help, right? So that's the kind of life Billy Graham leads. Well, Billy Graham, there's a woman that's been coming to our church. Her name is Jeannie. And for the last eight months, since she was 17 years old, she's been having just these chronic seizures. And there was one time when she was in high school, she was swimming, she got a seizure and she drowned. Like she just has these seizures that, that just cause her to black out. They, they've, for the last eight months has been having them daily. And then for the last six months has been having them twice daily, sometimes multiple times a day. They cause her to lose her memory. They cause her to just get fuzzy. Her, her kids have been super concerned about her. And like, man, we gotta get a caretaker. We gotta, take, we gotta figure this out. So Jeannie has been feeling worse and worse and worse and worse. And the Sunday morning that Billy Graham's here, she's thinking, I'm not gonna make it to church. I just feel terrible. And then she just starts feeling way better. And she goes, you know what? I might be able to make it to church today. I'm gonna make it to church today. And so she comes in and she sits in what I think is the second row. And Billy Graham teaches and teaches and teaches. And then Matt comes up and does the communion. So Billy Graham comes off the stage. Right when Billy Graham comes off of the stage, she's been having these three times a day for six months. She starts having one of her seizures and, and has the, the blackout kind. And Matt is like, do, do we need to get an ambulance? What, what do we gotta do? And Billy Graham just gets over there and grabs her head and starts praying for her. And he starts praying, 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 praying. And Jeannie said that when he let go, normally there's a taper off, like she has her seizures and then there's a taper off time where she has to recover. She said, it just stopped. There was no recovery period. And I know how crazy this sounds, but it's been like two weeks. She hasn't had one since. And just how wild is that? But here's the thing. Billy Graham has lived the kind of life where he has seen God move over and over and over and over and over again. And he knows when I don't know what to do, I'm just gonna do what I know. This woman is having an attack. She's having an episode. She has a problem. I know I need to pray for her. So I'm gonna lay hands on her and I'm gonna ask Jesus, who's already given me all good things, I, I'm going to pray that he heal her right now. Because when I don't know what to do, I'm gonna do what I know. And then I'm gonna trust God to move. And then because he did what he, he did the practical thing and he prayed, we get to praise. That's exactly what happened with the servant here. That's what we have to do. That, that we're called, there's so many times that we become people, I know I'm guilty of this, of I wanna be really, really, really practical. I'm always doing something, but I never pray about it. I never ask for heavenly intercession and guidance and direction. It's gotta be both. And then there's the other kind of person, right? Who they, they pray all the time. They go, okay, God, I just want you to use me and I'll be at home. And if, if you just send someone to knock on the door and tell me what I need to do, I'll do it. Like, well, that, good luck, man. No, it's gotta be both. You have to say, okay, I'm, I'm gonna get involved. I'm gonna practically do what I know, even if I don't know very much. And I'm gonna pray for God's wisdom and direction and, and insight and intervention all the way through it. And if you do that, God will give you opportunity after opportunity to praise him because God will move. In verse 27, and said, this is the servant. The servant has praised the Lord and he says, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. 
Verse 29, Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, thus the man spoke to me. He went to the man and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. So Laban is this conniving guy that we're gonna get to see a lot more as the story progresses. And it's not accidental that it lists the fact that he saw the ring and the bracelets before it lists the fact that he heard the story. He's very motivated by money. He's very motivated to, to get people to do what he wants if it's gonna benefit him and use people. He's a very conniving guy. It's not the testimony that moves him, it's the money. In verse 31, Laban says, come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and the place for the camels. No, he didn't. He had a servant or someone else do that, but he's just taking the credit for it, you know? Verse 32, so the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. He said, speak on. And just like every man who has a story, he's gonna recount the entire thing for us right now. Everything we just read, we get to read it twice. Verse 34, so he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. And to him, he has given all that he has. This family would know Sarah and Abraham that they left this country when they were 80 years old. And they would say, Sarah, Sarah, that old woman, she had a son? Well, surely he's gotta be like 100 years old by now. No, he's only 40. They'd go, what? How old was she? And this mass servant would say, yeah, his name's Isaac. They were all laughing, right? That's what Isaac means is, is, is laughter. In verse 37, my master made me swear, saying, you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell. But you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. But I said to my master, perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son from my clan and from my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give you to her, give her to you, you will be free from my oath. Isn't it interesting he doesn't mention the thigh thing? We just, we had a very normal promise. I'd have made a very normal promise that I would go and look for you, right? Like it's it's kind of interesting. Just, he gave a lot of information and skipped some things. Verse 42. I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, 
If now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, please give for me a little water from your jar to drink. And who will say to me, drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had even finished speaking in my heart, before I even got it out, before he didn't even speak it, it was just in his heart. God had already been working on it. Isn't it amazing that God, the creator and sustainer of the universe, we have direct access to him in the quiet of our own hearts. The guy who very atoms, he's holding very the very molecules of this universe together by, the, by his own will, you and I have direct line of access at any moment at all times. How incredible is that? Behold, Rebecca came out with her water jar on her shoulder and she went quickly down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, drink and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank and she gave the camels drink also. Then I asked her, whose daughter are you? She said, the daughter of Bethel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. If your daughter comes to you, after reading Genesis, after reading this story and says, do you see, dad? Nose rings are biblical. You can say, right on, then I get to choose who you marry. Right? <laughs> That's how the story goes. Verse 48. Then I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me, and if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered him and said, the thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go and let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. The servant's like, this is awesome. He traveled this entire way. As soon as he arrives, finds the right girl, goes and recounts the story. Now, are you gonna give her to me to go and marry, my, marry Abraham's son or not? And they're like, yes. And he's like, woohoo, I got her. And so then verse 52, when Abraham's servant heard these words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. Don't you just love that? Every time anything good happens, he goes, God, Jesus, you're so good. You are so good. In verse 53, and the servant brought out jewelry of silver and of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. It's Christmas right now, right? He's just giving away expensive things. It's dowry in a way. He's just, there's a, look at this great celebration that they're having. In verse 54, and he and the men who were with him ate and drank 
and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. He just got here. He traveled across the desert, miles and miles and miles and miles, goes to a well, immediately finds the girl. They celebrate, they eat, they drink, they party, they wake up, and he goes, okay, we're gonna head right on back against the desert. This guy is just motivated. He's not like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm gonna hang out on vacation. I did so well, I'm gonna take some time. He's like, no, I've gotta get this done for my master. He's 140 years old. We don't have much time he has. All right, if I don't get her back, the whole property is going to probate. No, he's not like, <laughs> he's like, I gotta do this right now. Verse 55, her brother and her mother said, let the young woman remain with us a while, at least 10 days. After that, she may go. What we're gonna see with Laban is he's a real tricky guy. And he likes to use marriage and the promise of time as, as kind of leverage. Like you're gonna see with his daughters, hey, you know, you, you hang out and you serve me for seven years. Ah, you hang out and you serve me for another seven. Ah, just a few more. It, it, the time just keeps going on and on and on. It's actually really fascinating. It, in the Hebrew, there's no days there. It's, it, hey, just leave her for 10. Well, 10 what? It's extortion. Yeah, it's you got 10 minutes? Do you want to have a little talk? No, 10 days? Is it, is it 10 weeks? Is it 10, 10 months? I think Laban's seeing, hey, they brought 10 camels this time. We've got, we've got what they want. Maybe they'll come back with 20. Maybe they'll come back with more. And we can get more and more and more out of this obviously very well-off and wealthy man. We've, we've got a prize right here. And so what they say, verse 56, because the servant's not a pushover. He stands his ground and he says, but he said to them, do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. Verse 57, they said, let us call the young woman and ask her. And you know what? She has a relationship with the Lord. Let's ask her what she wants. Let's ask her herself. And if she wants to go with you, she'll go with you. Verse 58, and they called Rebekah and said to her, will you go with this man? She said, I will go. I'm already packed, dude. They've got, they've got six of those camels already loaded up. Right? Like, they, I've, I've, this guy sounds pretty rad. And it's obviously from the Lord. I just went to the well to do some chores and they said, hey, you've got a really wealthy husband now. And I'm like, cool. You know, I, I love hanging out with my brother, but I think I'm done. I'd like to go meet my husband that God has set aside for me now, right? And verse 59 so they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, our sister, may you become thousands of 10,000s, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. They pray this blessing over Rebekah. They send her on her way. Verse 61, then Rebekah, and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Beer Lala Roy, that's how it's said, and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate 
in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel and said to the servant, who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The inflection's everything in that verse, huh? <laughs> Who is that guy? The servant said, it is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Just a story about God's absolute providence in these people's lives. God, as you're reading the story, he doesn't seem very present, right? Like God doesn't say anything directly, but God very obviously wove and orchestrated this, this whole story of when the servant would arrive at the well that the servant has only barely got enough time to pray before the right woman approaches, says exactly what he prayed he would say, does exactly what he hoped she would do, and is exactly the right person. That the family would know Abraham and Sarah and believe what he's saying and say, oh my gosh, this must be from the Lord. That God doesn't seem like he's in it, but he's absolutely in it that he's moving and orchestrating every single thing. And so for you and me, as we go about this week, we need to become practical people. Sometimes you and I don't do the things that we know we should do because we're afraid we're gonna get left hanging. In the kids' wing, all of the time, as kids are leaving, I will go, hey, I hope you had fun today. And they walk by. And I go, and I always get a laugh from the parents for that. You know, I give myself a high five, like, oh, bummer. Or fist bump, okay, right? There's nothing worse than getting left hanging. Sometimes you and I don't get involved because we're afraid of, well, what if I, what if I pray for that person? God, will you make the seizure stop? In Jesus' name, I command you to heal this woman. And God doesn't do it. I'm gonna be left hanging. It's gonna be embarrassing and people are gonna see and they're gonna make fun of me and they're gonna think less of me. So sometimes... You and I don't do the things that we know we should do because we're afraid, what if, what if that doesn't happen? And I think we miss out. Um, Max, one of our middle school pastor, he showed up on a job site where my dad was working because he wanted to ask me something. I was there with my dad. And Max doesn't work for my dad. He's never been on this job site before. And I was helping my dad lift a beam. And so Max just started sweeping. And my dad is like, who is that guy? That guy is awesome. And Max goes, well, if you don't know what to do, just do what you know, right? Isn't that the best line? And my dad is like, he can come anywhere. Like that is, I like that kid. I think sometimes that's all God wants us to do. We don't be afraid of being left hanging. We just go, okay, I don't know what to do right now, so I'm gonna do what I know. So we need to become people who are practical. We need to become a praying people. We have to become people who are just asking for heavenly direction all of the time. We have a direct line to the creator and the sustainer of the universe who didn't even withhold his own son from us. And so if he's not gonna withhold the very best from us, is he gonna withhold anything else from us? 
Absolutely not. That we have to be the kind of people who say, okay, God, will you give me direction? Will you give me insight? Okay, God, I move, but now I need to see you move as well. Will you move? Will you show me what's next? Will you lead me in this next step? Will you guide me? And if we do that, I believe we will become appraising people because the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob is the same God yesterday, today, and forever, and he's the God who lives in us. And if God orchestrated even something as simple as a marriage, isn't God gonna be involved in the daily things for you and for me? Absolutely. And it's so important that we share stories like what happened with Jeannie or what's happening with the babies that God is, is, is healing at the NICU because God is still healing Chris Klein's baby, Shiloh. He, he's having some oxygen issues, but God is healing that baby. It's so important that we share those testimonies and stories so we become people who go, oh, Yes, God is moving, God is alive, God is still the same God who orchestrated and moved and redeemed in here is alive today and doing that in Grant's past because it will cause you and I to become more bold and more practical and more prayerful and we'll become a community who's praising our King who's actively moving his kingdom forward in Grant's past today. Amen. If you don't know what to do, just do what you know and trust that God is gonna do the rest. So Jesus, we are so thankful that we get to be called your people. We're so thankful that you are not distant, but you are present, that you love us, that you want us to be involved in moving your kingdom forward, that you have huge opportunities for us to pray and get to see people healed. There's huge opportunities for us to pray and get to see people, people's addictions, release them. That we get to pray and get to see people who were lost become found. And so Jesus, I pray that we would become a group of people who are mindful and constantly remembering my God is alive. I follow the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob and he's moving even today. God, will you use us? May we be practical, prayerful people who get to see you move. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, God bless you guys.